0: Right now, my listeners can give armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash offer. Stay tuned at the end of this episode to hear about a really exciting event I'm hosting along with my friends. Aaron and Justin, hosts of the Generation Y podcast. Also, this episode involves discussions about racism and sexual assault. Please take care before listening. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. My every move is a calculated step to bring me closer to embrace an early death. Now there's nothing left. Iconic rapper Tupac Shakur, in his lyrics and persona, foreshadowed his own violent death. Tupac's bold, brash, and fearless demeanor earned him a legion of fans, but it also made him a target. Whether intentional or not, Tupac's thug life mantra, a statement he tattooed across his chest, blurred the lines between Hollywood gangsters and real ones, a threshold from which there was no turning back. Now, nearly 30 years after the prolific rapper was gunned down in a hail of bullets near the Las Vegas Strip, the public may finally get confirmation of the men and the motive behind one of music's greatest mysteries, who killed Tupac Shakur. On September 29, 2023, Las Vegas Metro Police made headlines around the world when they announced the arrest of Dwayne Keith Davis, better known by his gang moniker, Keefy D. Davis's name was already familiar to anyone who's followed Tupac's murder investigation. In fact, Davis went so far as to write a book published in 2018 where the former drug kingpin admitted to being in the car with the person responsible for Tupac's death, repeating statements he'd made years earlier to the Los Angeles Police Department. Davis's book was made into a TV series on A&E and has been the source of multiple documentaries, which all begs one massive question surrounding Keefy D's arrest, why now? Why did it take authorities over 25 years to file charges in such a high-profile case when so many apparently already knew who was responsible? Who were they trying to protect? And what's changed? This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I revisit the facts of the 1996 murder of rapper Tupac Shakur and what recent developments might mean for finally getting resolution in one of history's great unsolved mysteries. Born Lassane Parish Crooks on June 16th, 1971 in East Harlem, New York, Tupac Shakur was renamed by his mother. Afaini, a member of the Black Panther Party. The name, which means Shining Serpent, comes from an Incan ruler who was executed in 1781 after his failed revolt against Spanish conquerors. Afaini said about Tupac, I wanted him to have the name of revolutionary indigenous people in the world. The son of not one but two Black Panthers, Tupac grew up around political activism and was ingrained with a deep distrust of authority. Just one month before Tupac's birth, Afeni was acquitted of conspiring with other Panthers to bomb police stations and other public buildings in New York, charges that threatened to send her away to prison for the rest of her life. Demonstrating the confidence that she'd pass on to her son Afeni represented herself at trial. Of the experience, she says in her autobiography, I was young, I was arrogant, and I was brilliant in court because I thought this was the last time I could speak. Despite her success in court, life would hardly get easier for Afeni. After her husband learned he was not Tupac's biological father, the couple split. With Afeni taking Tupac and his sister to live in Baltimore in 1986, by then the one-time dissident fell addicted to rock cocaine. A struggle Tupac would later highlight in his hit song "Dear Mama," in which he says, "Even though you was a crack fiend, mama, you always was a black queen, mama." In Baltimore, the Shakurs lived in abject poverty surrounded by crime and violence. Believing her son had a greater purpose than selling drugs, Afani encouraged Tupac's artistic pursuits and enrolled him in the Baltimore School for the Arts where he studied subjects like poetry, jazz, and ballet. It was during this time that the future Grammy nominee began to refine his skills as a rapper and as an actor. Afane said, That was a really good experience for Tupac because all of the other students at the school were artists, and the environment for artists is different. It's a lot freer, it's a lot less restricted. In 1988, Afane sent Tupac across the country to Northern California to live with a close friend in Marin County, a working class town 25 minutes north of San Francisco. With no family and few allies, the tenacious teenager was forced to fight to earn respect and fight he did. Tupac's neighborhood friend, Ray Love said, it made it incredible the guts he had. He fears no man, woman, child, animal, none of that. He figured they can only kill you one time. During this period, Tupac began to immerse himself in the burgeoning Oakland hip-hop scene, forging friendships with members of the group Digital Underground, renowned for their chart-topping hit, The Humpty Dance. Tupac's involvement with the group started as a roadie before his talents propelled him to the role of hype man, where he captivated audiences with his energetic stage presence, dancing, and crowd-hyping skills. It soon became apparent Tupac was destined for much more than Humpty. Shakur's breakthrough came when the group granted him a verse in Same Song, the lead track from Digital Underground's 1991 album. In the accompanying music video, Tupac makes a memorable entrance, appearing on screen as an African prince, carried on a palanquin by four servants. His chemistry with the camera is apparent, His lyrical prowess, undeniable. The founder of Digital Underground, Greg Jacobs, better known as Shock G, said of young Tupac, We were like family to him. We got him his first apartment. He had no credit. He couldn't drive. He had no driver's license. After less than a year touring with the group, Tupac was ready to embark on his solo career. His debut album, Tupacalypse Now, garnered immediate acclaim. On it, Shakur established himself as less gangster rapper and more warrior poet, touching on issues like social justice and police brutality. In one song, Brenda's Got a Baby, Tupac raps about the mistreatment of black women and the consequences of children being raised in fatherless homes. Shakur's delivery oozing with passion and authenticity resonated with audiences in a way that few artists have been able to emulate. Fans from all walks of life, regardless of race and ethnicity, embraced the rapper's persona. By the time Shakur released his second album, he'd already ascended to hip-hop's highest echelons, soon followed by opportunities in film and television. But his fame was not without controversy. Just as his career was reaching orbit, the rapper nearly lost everything. In 1995, a 19-year-old female fan told police that she was gang-raped after going to visit Tupac at a New York City hotel, an allegation the rapper adamantly denied. Ayanna Jackson, who's spoken about the events of that night publicly, told Vlad TV that she and Tupac had already had sex multiple times before he invited her to the Parker Meridian Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. Jackson said she was alone in a room with Tupac when three men stormed inside and raped her while a bodyguard looked on. Tupac and his road manager, Charles Fuller, were taken into custody and accused of three counts of first-degree sexual abuse and sodomy. They were also hit with gun charges after police found two guns in the $3,000 a night hotel room. Ayanna Jackson would testify at trial about Tupac's callousness. She said on the stand, Once I caught sight of myself, I sank down on the floor and started to cry. They came out, picked me up, and brought me back into the suite. Tupac was lying on the couch. In my mind, I'm thinking, this motherfucker just raped me, and he's lying up here like a king, acting as if nothing happened. So I began crying hysterically and shouting, how could you do this to me? Tupac was outspoken before, during, and after proceedings, quick to point out that he was the only person in the hotel room that night facing serious charges. Shakur said to a group of reporters outside the courtroom, it's not about me anymore. It's just about loud rap music Tattoo having thugs, it's about some nightmare these people are having. In a sick twist of fate, Tupac almost didn't live to learn the outcome. While visiting a local recording studio, the 24-year-old and two members of his crew were confronted by men with guns in the lobby. Tupac was shot five times. Miraculously, he survived. The near-death experience did nothing to dissuade jurors. On February 7, 1995, they convicted the rapper of felony sex abuse and a judge sentenced him to between 18 months and four and a half years at Clinton Correctional Facility in New York. Tupac showed up to sentencing in a wheelchair, his head wrapped from where a bullet had grazed his skull. I just found the next best thing to hiring an accountant, Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Just like many of you, I fall victim to the occasional 30-day free trial that I almost always forget about. Before Rocket Money, I never realized just how many of those subscription services I'd signed up for and how much I was actually spending. Rocket Money has my back when it comes to keeping an eye out on finances. Also, if you want to ditch some subscriptions hassle-free, Rocket Money makes it as easy as a click of a button. No more waiting on hold, searching through tricky website settings, or dealing with annoying emails to customer service. Rocket Money takes care of everything. Rocket Money can even negotiate some of your bills by up to 20%. All you have to do is snap a picture of your bill and upload it into the app and they take care of the rest. But wait, there's more. Rocket Money keeps track of all your expenses, creates a custom budget based on your spending history, and notifies you when you hit your limits. With over 5 million users and counting, Rocket Money has helped save its customers an average of $720 a year and $1 billion in total savings so far. Stop wasting money on things you don't use, cancel your unwanted subscriptions, and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com/murderish that's rocketmoney.com/murderish rocketmoney.com/murderish most inmates at the prison greeted Tupac with respect but he was forced to serve his time in protective custody While spending hours alone in a small cell, Shakur had nothing to do but dwell on his near-death experience. He became convinced that Biggie Smalls, the notorious B.I.G., and Sean Puff Daddy Combs, two New York rap stars, had something to do with it. Stoking that fire was Marion Shug Knight, then CEO of Death Row Records, a Los Angeles-based studio that was competing with Sean Puffy Combs' bad boy records for rap supremacy. When Tupac was released just nine months into his sentence, Suge was there to greet him. Within days of his newfound freedom, Tupac signed a multi-million dollar contract with Suge Knight and Death Row Records. He also landed acting roles in two films. The first album released after his prison term, All Eyes on Me, which Tupac wrote almost exclusively while incarcerated, debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, and went on to sell over 5 million copies. The two-disc set is widely considered the rapper's greatest work. By the time 1996 rolled around, Tupac was the undisputed king of rap, earning millions and living in a mansion in exclusive Calabasas, California. But rather than use his newfound wealth and fame to escape the gang life, Tupac embraced it. For that decision, he would pay dearly. Given Tupac's no-holds-barred approach to life, it surprised few that he forged a powerful bond with boxing's Iron Mike Tyson. In the mid-1990s, Tyson was one of the sports world's most notorious stars, a title Shakur held in the music industry. The two men had another thing in common. Convicted of rape in 1992, Tyson served three years in prison, during which Tupac visited him on multiple occasions. Tupac said of Tyson, he is one of the realest people I've ever met. It was the bond between the two men that brought Tupac to Las Vegas on the night of September 7th, 1996. Tyson was fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world and he wanted Shakur at ringside. When Tupac tried to back out of the trip at the last minute, Tyson pressured him to come, asking Tupac to bring a tape of a rap song he recorded specifically for the fighter. At the time of the trip, Tupac and Suge were embroiled in an ugly dispute with Biggie and Puffy. What had begun as a war of words between East Coast and West Coast factions had become something far more serious. Like a match to gasoline, enter the Crips and the Bloods. Given Suge's known affiliation to the Bloods, Sean Puff Daddy Combs allegedly turned to the rival Crips for protection while on a West Coast tour, it was through Eric Von Zip Martin, a Harlem music aficionado, nightclub owner, and street entrepreneur, that Puff Daddy was introduced to a Southside Compton Crip by the name of Kefi D. Kefi D. said to Vlad TV of Puff Daddy, "I guess you could say he was smart. The dude after me wears the red. I need the blue." After months of posturing. And one near brawl at the Soul Train Awards. It was Tupac who landed the devastating blow. In a shockingly brazen move, Tupac verbally attacked Combs and Biggie Smalls in his 1996 song, Hit 'em Up, telling Biggie that he had sex with his wife, R&B singer Faith Evans, and saying both men deserved to die. The song was released in June of 1996 just five months before Tupac's fateful trip to Las Vegas. On the morning of September 7, 1996, Shakur set off from his home outside Los Angeles with his girlfriend and his cousin in tow. The trio drove across the California desert, arriving in Vegas around 3 p.m. Tupac told the women to remain in the hotel room for their own safety, suggesting the 25-year-old might have had a sixth sense about the violence that was about to ensue. Tupac met up with Suge Knight so they could attend the Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand Arena together. The two arrived dressed as hip hop royalty. Knight in a burgundy blazer, black shirt, and a black fedora. Tupac in a black and white designer suit with diamond studded nose rings and earrings. The men were seated in the first few rows as Tyson entered the arena to the thundering sound of Tupac's voice. The champion, Mike Tyson, making his first defense of his reacquired WBA heavyweight title, former undisputed heavyweight champion, of course, the youngest champion in heavyweight history. After all the hype, the bout was a flop. Tyson knocked out his opponent in less than two minutes making it one of the shortest championship fights in boxing history. Tupac was nonetheless ecstatic, catching Tyson as he made his way back to the locker room. With cameras flashing, the two men embraced emphatically as Tupac congratulated his friend on the easy victory. The pair had plans to meet up later that evening at Knight's club, the 662. They would never see each other again. Following the knockout, Tupac and his entourage brimmed with adrenaline. Rather than using the underground exits to leave the arena, Tupac, Suge, and an entourage of five cut a path directly through the crowded casino. As they neared the valet, a member of their crew caught a glimpse of a familiar face near an ATM. The man's name? Orlando Baby Lane Anderson, a Compton Crip, who'd assaulted a member of Tupac's crew just weeks earlier, snatching his death row medallion in the process. Rumors were that Puff Daddy had offered a bounty of $10,000 for anyone who could get him one of the chains to use in a music video. In a scene caught on MGM security cameras, Tupac rushed Anderson with a flurry of punches. Suge Knight and the remaining Death Row members joined in on the beatdown, delivering kicks and elbows to the outmanned Anderson. The grainy black-and-white footage is now part of music history. Death Row Records was at the height of its fame, and yet here were millionaires choosing to settle disputes like street-level foot soldiers, willing to risk everything they had over a single act of disrespect. The moment showed Tupac perfectly for what he was, a complex and contradictory figure, capable of both great artistry and poor judgment. A man able to capture the black experience in America, like few artists had done before, yet also willing to engage in a violent altercation in a public place. The entire clash lasted around 15 seconds before Tupac's entourage realized they'd better leave before casino security and the police arrived. They exited onto the strip just after 8 p.m., bathed in the glow of neon lights. They had three hours to change and prepare for the second assignment on their itinerary, a visit to Suge's nightclub, where Tupac was scheduled to perform. When asked about his final interaction with Tupac, Mike Tyson told LA radio station Power 106, he was really happy after the fight. He came to the press conference with me and then I went home and then he left. It's very difficult to talk about. He was a young kid who wanted to be great and it happened. He was just an uncontrollable force and that was the problem. He was powerful and no one could control him. Just before 11 p.m., Suge pulled up to Tupac's hotel in a black 7 Series BMW with blackout windows and platinum chrome rims. The rapper hopped into the passenger side seat and Suge hit the gas. Behind them in a black Suburban was the rest of the entourage, including Tupac's security guard, Frank Alexander. Little did any of them know, at that moment, they'd been marked Only a few streets over was a white Cadillac, full of Southside Compton Crips, ready for revenge. For the seasoned reader, it's often difficult to discover new authors when everyone is suggesting the same classic books over and over. But I'm not here to complain, I'm here for solutions. Reading just got better with Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. My favorite thing about Book of the Month is that they make reading easier and more fun. They also help take some decision fatigue off your shoulders by carefully curating five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from, which are all great, so there's really no wrong choice. By focusing their selection on new and upcoming authors, they help us readers venture beyond our regular genres. From selecting your next read to getting it in the mail, Book of the Month makes the entire experience fun and seamless. Books are delivered in a bright blue box, and you're able to track your reading progress in their app, with reading challenges, rewards, and lots of other fun surprises. They also just launched curated audiobooks, so members can choose between a hardcover or audiobook each month, I'm excited to read my book for the month, The Maid by Nita Prose. Although I'm looking forward to the book itself, I'm also looking forward to tracking my progress and participating in the app's challenges. Make reading better by joining Book of the Month. For a limited time, you can get your first book for only $5 if you join and enter the code for you at bookofthemonth.com. Again, that's your first book for only $5 by using code for you Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. Unlike his purported victim, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis was a relative unknown in 1996 beyond the L.A. gang scene. Born in Compton on June 14, 1963, Davis, the son of a U.S. Marine, called the city home before it earned its gangland reputation. When his parents moved there in 1965, Compton was primarily a white neighborhood made up of middle and working class families. Davis, one of 11 children, recalls being the target of racism, telling Vlad TV, "'One day, me and my moms were coming from the store, "'and some white dudes in a 57 Chevy came up, "'and I was like four or five years old and called us a bunch of N-words, I felt scared because I remember Martin Luther King had just passed away. The friction between blacks and whites gave rise to two organizations that would one day have a global impact, the Crips and the Bloods. The groups were offshoots of gangs formed by young black men as a means to protect themselves from white and Mexican rivals. The Crips came first, started by two high school students, Raymond Washington and Stanley Williams in 1969. The gang affiliated itself with the color blue. They grew quickly in size and influence. By the early 1970s, the Crips were one of the most powerful gangs in South Central, known for using murder and mayhem to control the local drug trade. The response was the Bloods. Originally known as the Pyru Street Boys, after a neighborhood in North Compton, they changed their name to the Bloods in 1972 and adopted the color red. Today, the two gangs and their loosely related networks boast as many as 60,000 members in 41 U.S. states, over 60 countries and three continents. As more black families like Keefee Dee's came to Compton to realize the dream of homeownership, white families headed for the suburbs. By 1975, Compton was 60% black and 30% Hispanic. Services declined, stores shuttered, the LAPD turned a blind eye. Before long, it was the gangs that ran South Central. Some of the first gangs to form had names like the Grandies, Boot Hill and Nutty Block. Dwayne Davis, then a ball boy for Compton College, was just 12 when he joined a Southside clique that went by the moniker, the U.S. Boys. The small-time crooks were soon swallowed up by the larger Crip organization, and Davis's focus went from sports to theft, robbery, and drug dealing. He told Vlad TV, we was all like family, we stuck together. I was from that neighborhood, so I figured, why not ride with that? Membership in the Crips meant living in a never-ending battle with the rival Bloods. Any interaction, no matter how mundane, could turn violent. What began as fistfights over turf, the Bloods in the North and the Crips in the South, soon gave way to gunplay. Amid this constant warfare, Dwayne Davis transformed into Keefy D. While selling weed to members of the Compton College baseball team, Keefe D was introduced to a coach who introduced him to a more profitable venture, cocaine. In the days before crack arrived on the scene, Kefi sold white powder for $50 a tea or teaspoon. He wore blue, drove a white 68 Chevy and carried a nine mm Serving time for various crimes became second nature. In 1983, a judge sentenced Keefe to four years in prison for selling drugs and aggravated assault after he responded to a beatdown with a 30-30 rifle. Fortunately for the victim and for Keefe, he only used the butt of the gun in the attack, sparing himself a possible life sentence. It was his first jail bid, but certainly not his last. While on the inside, Keefy hooked up with several fellow Crips. In the days before the Mexican Mafia's rise to power, it was the Crips who controlled the Southern California prison system. Keefy described the experience as attending gladiator school. He said, It made me street smarter. It made me rougher. It made my thoughts better. I had book sense, street sense, and common sense. Put them all together, that's what made Keefy D. Back on the streets, the laid-back gangster used a connection with a Colombian drug dealer to become a shot caller, selling kilos of cocaine wholesale. Keefe's status as a leader in the Southside Crips gave him a front-row seat to the next big thing to hit Compton, gangster rap. The rise of Eazy-E, Dr. Dre, and Ice Cube transformed the small South LA city into the center of the rap universe. Initially dominated by East Coast acts like Run DMC and Public Enemy, hip hop in the early 90s was all about California and more specifically, the Golden State's gang culture. America's youth from the inner cities to the suburbs to the rural hamlets could not get enough of the genre. Soon, songs glorifying violence shootings, drug use, and prostitution, were getting regular radio airplay, and their albums, remember, these were the days before digital music, were selling by the millions. Suddenly, the gangs that made millions in illicit activities, like drugs and guns, saw a potential new profit stream, the entertainment industry. Both Bloods and Crips found a foothold in the burgeoning gangster rap money machine, starting with Death Row Records founder, Suge Knight, and avowed blood. Keefy D and the Southside Compton Crips provided protection for Eazy-E, who, unlike many hip-hop artists of his day, actually did the things he rapped about in the studio. Before long, the line between art and reality began to blur. No longer were these artists just rapping about the gang life. They were living it too. Given the environment, a mid level cocaine dealer and street thug like Keefee D was able to get FaceTime with one of music's biggest moguls, Sean Puff Daddy Combs. Though Sean Combs, aka P. Diddy, is most associated with New York City and East Coast rap. He wasn't without friends out West during his high-profile beef with Tupac. Keefe D says he got to know P. Diddy through Eric Von Zip Martin. According to writer Jackie Jasper, Zip knew every OG on the East Coast and practically every new kid on the block across the nation. He drove a bulletproof Mercedes, operated offices on both coasts, and moved effortlessly in and out of both entertainment and underworld circles. According to Keefe, who now resides in a Clark County detention center, it was P. Diddy who suggested the hit on Tupac one day, while he and Keefe were out eating pastrami sandwiches and drinking pink champagne in a New York restaurant. It should be noted that Keefe has occasionally made conflicting statements about the circumstances surrounding Tupac's murder. Sean Diddy Combs, for the record, has adamantly denied any involvement in Tupac's death. Keefe said that Diddy told him, I need to speak to you, big dog, and the pair went to the side to talk. According to Keefe's autobiography, Compton Street Legend, it was at that moment when the music mogul said he had problems he wanted handled, which the gangster interpreted as a suggestion to kill Tupac and Suge Knight. Keefie D says he replied to Diddy, that's not a problem, we can make that happen. Whether it was a hit for hire or simply gang retaliation, there's little doubt today who was responsible for Tupac's murder the Southside Compton Crips. According to Keefy D., after Orlando Baby Lane Anderson's beatdown inside the MGM Grand Hotel, the Crips regrouped in a parking garage off the Strip to decide their next move. Anderson was Keefy's nephew. It was decided then that Tupac and Suge needed to die. The only problem, according to Keefy, the Crips had left their guns behind in Los Angeles. Enter Zip Wright. Keefe D. says in his book that it was East Coast gangster Zip who had a Glock stashed in his car that he handed over to the Compton Crips. Four men then jumped in a rented white Cadillac and headed to Suge Knight's Club 662 looking for their targets. It was just after 9 p.m., After staking out the club for less than 45 minutes, the group grew anxious. According to Keefe D., they decided to make a liquor run and look for Tupac and Suge elsewhere. By fate or pure coincidence, the Crips spotted their targets in a black BMW just a short distance away from the club. Keefe said in his book that one of the Crips heard a woman scream, it's Tupac, it's Tupac, and he immediately saw the famous rapper hanging out the window of the BMW. The white Cadillac quickly made a U-turn and began to tail Suge's BMW. At the intersection of Flamingo Road and Koval Lane, the BMW was forced to stop at a red light, allowing the Crips to pull up alongside Tupac and Shug. Technology allows us to find specific things with the best reviews and a great price in minutes and get it to your doorstep in a couple of days. But why is it that I can order things from around the world and receive them quicker than I can get an appointment to see a good doctor? It's awful when you have to wait weeks or even months for an appointment only to show up and your doctor seems completely checked out. Thankfully, there's ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find and book great doctors who have amazing reviews and many have appointments available within 24 hours. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top rated patient reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones that take your insurance are located near you and treat almost any condition you're searching for. All of ZocDocs doctors have real verified reviews from actual patients, not bots. And the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 48 hours. Seriously, sometimes you can even score same day appointments. No more waiting on the phone with a receptionist, just find the doc you want and book them immediately with just a few taps. It gives me such peace of mind knowing that I have the ZocDoc app ready to go on my phone for quick medical attention when my family and I need it. Go to ZocDoc.com murderish and download the Zocdoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoc.com/murderish. Zocdoc.com/murderish. In all his public statements about the night of the shooting, Keefe D has refused to say exactly who pulled the trigger, but according to police someone in the back of the white Cadillac opened fire on the BMW, with Tupac and Suge inside. Tupac was hit multiple times, as was night. Both were transported to University Medical Center, where Tupac Shakur was pronounced dead six days later, at 4.03 p.m. on September 13, 1996. In an LAPD recording of an interview with Keefe D., obtained by the US Sun, Keefe tells detectives that Puffy Combs called Zip shortly after Tupac's shooting to ask if the Crips were responsible. When P. Diddy learned it was their crew that shot the rival rapper, Keefe D says he was happy as hell. So far, police have made no mention of Sean P. Diddy Combs or said anything to suggest an arrest is likely or imminent. Most have said publicly they believe the shooting was nothing more than retaliation for Tupac's attack on Anderson in the Vegas casino. Orlando Baby Lane Anderson was interviewed by police after the shooting, but wasn't arrested. LAPD found a Glock pistol in Anderson's home, but forensic testing on the gun resulted in inconclusive data. If Anderson was responsible for Tupac's death, The public will never know for sure. The young man was killed just two years later in 1998 in Willowbrook, California in a gang-related shootout. He was 23 years old when he died. News out of the Nevada desert dropped like an atomic bomb. In the first public word of progress in Tupac's case in at least a decade, It was revealed that the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department in July of 2023 executed a search warrant and uncovered evidence it said was related to Tupac's 1996 murder. The subject of that search was Dwayne Keefe D. Davis. According to the Las Vegas Sun, the search resulted in police seizing multiple electronic devices, photographs, and a copy of Davis's 1998 book. Authorities arrested Davis two months later on September 29th, outside his home in suburban Las Vegas. Video released by Vegas PD depicts the aging gangbanger, now 60, being handcuffed on the street and led into a black truck. He was wearing a white polo t-shirt, gray sweatpants and white tennis shoes. The former drug kingpin showed no emotion during the process, telling police he was out for his morning walk. When offered instructions on how to get into the truck while shackled, Davis said slyly, I'm a pro dude, I got this. An officer who transported Davis to inmate intake asked him, what they got you for? Keefee mumbled back something about Biggie and Tupac. The officer responded, Sure took them a while, huh? Davis then added, I ain't worried. I ain't done that shit. Davis, sporting a shaved head and a gray goatee, appeared in court three weeks later. Dressed in a dark jumpsuit, courtesy of the Clark County Department of Corrections, Keefe D said that he'd retain the services of an attorney. At an arraignment held the following month, Davis was indicted on a charge of murder with a deadly weapon, with the intent to promote, further, or assist a criminal gang. The charges came as a result of grand jury proceedings held over the summer. Prosecutors allege that Dwayne Davis was the on-ground, on-site commander responsible for formulating a plan to exact revenge on Tupac Shakur and Suge Knight in retaliation for the fight at the MGM Grand involving his nephew. Copies of court exhibits show that much of the evidence against Davis comes from his own words, interviews he gave over the years, and passages from his book. In early October, the Clark County District Court released copies of the 48 exhibits that prosecutors provided to the grand jury during closed-door hearings. The exhibits include pictures from Tupac's autopsy, his death certificate, and photos of the bullet-ridden vehicle he was in when he was shot. The grand jury also looked at YouTube clips from interviews Davis did after his book was released. As reported by the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Davis said in one of the videos, I told on myself. According to RJ reporter Caitlin Newberg, during grand jury proceedings, a man affiliated with the Southside Crips testified that his roommate, who was in the Cadillac's back seat, DeAndre Dre Smith, had confessed to pulling the trigger. Keefee D is the only person still alive who police believe was in the Cadillac the evening that Tupac was shot. Under Nevada law, Davis can be charged with murder if prosecutors can prove he aided and abetted in the killing. As for Tupac's living relatives, News of D's arrest has done little to assuage their frustrations with law enforcement. In a statement, Tupac's sister, Shakira Shakur, called Davis's indictment a pivotal moment, but said she'd reserve judgment until all the facts and legal proceedings are complete. Shakira added, There have been multiple hands involved, and there remains so much surrounding the life and death of my brother Tupac and our Shakur family overall. We are all seeking real justice on all fronts. It remains unclear why the Clark County DA's office waited until this summer to charge Keevee D. What is known is that under his agreement with the LAPD in exchange for discussing the shooting in 2009, authorities promised any statements made to them during that interview, could not be used against Dwayne Davis. Some outlets have reported that Keefy D misinterpreted his so-called proffer agreement as a type of immunity. A proffer agreement allows a defendant in a case to cooperate with the government without fear of self-incrimination. While law enforcement could not charge Davis based on the statements given in that interview, they could use the information to build a case against the gang leader in another way. Also, if any information provided by Davis was found to be incorrect, the agreement could be set aside. Legal experts say it'll be difficult to convict Keefe D on statements he made to documentarians and in his book alone. That's because the former drug dealer could simply claim he fabricated those statements for financial gain the public likely won't know the answer for some months. Dwayne Keefe D. Davis pleaded not guilty on November 2nd of 2023 and was appointed two special public defenders to represent him. He's currently being held without bail. The notorious gangster has reportedly been trying to obtain the services of high-profile defense attorney Ross Goodman. After a previous hearing, Goodman criticized the prosecutor's lack of evidence, saying, there's no gun, there's no car, and there's no witnesses from 27 years ago. Prosecutors have already said they won't be seeking the death penalty. News of Keefe D's arrest has brought renewed interest to Tupac's massive discography, which includes over 700 songs, many released after his death. Family have argued for years that the influential rapper was denied justice because police viewed his death as gang-on-gang crime. His sister, Sakiwa, who heads up the Tupac Amaru Shakur Foundation, said, "'It's important to me that the world, the country, the justice system, and our people acknowledge the gravity of the passing of this man, my brother, my mother's son, my father's son,' His life and death matter and should not go unsolved or unrecognized. If Tupac were alive today, he'd be 52 years old. Though his physical presence is gone, his legacy as one of the most influential rappers, and arguably the greatest, continues to thrive today and likely for many generations to come. Most 90s kids, like me, remember exactly where they were when they learned of Tupac's death. It's one of those moments in time that millions of people will never forget. As far as where Tupac might be now, if you believe in that sort of thing, it's possible he's in a chromed-out mansion in paradise in the sky. In Tupac's hit song, Thug's Mansion, he raps about a place where thugs go after death. Pock says in the song ain't no place i'd rather be children dead homies and family sky high iced out paradise in the sky ain't no place i'd rather be only place that's right for me chromed out mansion in paradise in the sky Thanks for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Share your thoughts about this case with me on Instagram or TikTok. I'm at Jamie on both platforms. That's J-A-M-I on air on Instagram and TikTok. You guys, I'm co-hosting a live meetup on February 24th of 2024 with my good friends Aaron and Justin, hosts of the Generation Y podcast. The free meetup is taking place in North Hollywood at the Idle Hour Bar, on Saturday, February 24th, 2024. Aaron, Justin, and I will be there for a casual hangout with friends and fans of our podcast. Mark your calendars for February 24th, 2024, and join us in Los Angeles for a casual and fun evening. Go to murderish.com or Instagram at Jamie on Air for more event details. I hope to see you there. If you enjoy Murderish, do me the biggest favor and leave a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. I wanna make sure one more time that you're following me on Instagram and TikTok at Jamie on Air, because I recently started a true crime TV club called Serial Streamers, which is just like a book club, only it's a club for people who binge true crime documentaries. If you wanna join the Serial Streamers TV club, All you have to do is follow me on Instagram at Jamie on Air and watch for videos about the latest TV series we're watching together. So you can join us in the comments and share your thoughts on each series. That's Jamie on Air on Instagram and YouTube. If you want ad-free episodes of Murderish, sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon or just go to murderish.com and then you can start enjoying ad-free episodes right away. This episode was researched and written by Kay Brandt. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish.